Welcome to Always Listening, Can I Trust My AI Assistant, a podcast series from the Secure AI Assistance Research Project. The SAIS Research Project focuses on investigating the security of AI assistance and privacy of its users. In this podcast series, we will be discussing in particular voice AI assistants with the researchers at SAIS and some of their partners to answer the questions, how do AI assistants really work? How do they use or possibly misuse data? And we will start to unravel the question of, can I really trust my AI assistant? In this final episode, we're going to step away from discussing how the technology works to ask a deeper question. How has the technology changed us? AI technologies, big data, and our increasingly digital lives have altered the way we operate as individuals and as a society. Examining our digital lives from a humanities perspective is an area of expertise for Dr. Mark Cote. Uh, My name is Mark Cote, and I'm a reader in Data, Culture, and Society in the Digital Humanities Department. I'm very interested in the social dimensions of of data um, and across data analytics. Um, We've done projects with Jose um, on digital discrimination uh, and bias. Um, We're now working on AI assistance. What I've done a lot of in these projects is looked at the technical objects from a humanities perspective. That is not to think about technology, say, discursively, but rather to open up the technical dimensions to see how they impact on, broadly speaking, the human condition. Starting from uh, an understanding that the human is always already a, a technical being, right? I think oftentimes, especially from a humanities perspective, we think about technology as something that is distinct and wholly separate from the human, that the human exists in this kind of more pure human form and technology in different ways distorts um, or changes the fundamental nature of the human. Whereas, I mean, if we just simply look to the fact that, you know, for a million plus years before we even emerged as a species, um, as a genus, I should say, not as a species, so as as homo, um, we had a fundamental relationship with stone tools, right? And this altered our very possibility for how we could live in an environment and what kind of resources we could take from that environment, which then, you know, allowed our brains to develop differently. And so we've always already been a technical being. Now that we're in a historical moment where our lives are ubiquitously embedded in relations around data, the way that we generate data without thinking about it, and how there are very few areas of life that are not being transformed by that, this is an area that's rich for unpacking and thinking specifically about how the technology has changed. So AI assistants are yet another kind of -of state-of-the-art example Just to repeat that key statement from Mark, there are very few areas of life that are not being transformed by big data. I asked Mark to recap for us where this data is coming from. So when we use apps, it's easy to be specific. And in fact, that's one of the things that a number of research projects that I've worked on is focused on. 
opening up specific apps, looking specifically, microscopically at the different data permissions of any given app, um, and then looking also at the SDKs and other third parties. It's the way that, let's say, third parties are integrated into an app because they provide services. So this is actually a good parallel because it helps us to think about how skills function within Alexa, right? The thing about skills is they are going to request specific kind of data that is necessary for it to function efficiently. And this is something we've always got to remember, even if we are extremely concerned, as we should be, about our personal data, about the, the, the ways in which it gets shared and then utilized and potentially monetized and or can be used to surveil you and so on. That data also is necessary. Some of that data is actually necessary in order for the skill to function in order for that AI assistant to do the thing that you want it to do. You know, in a trivial sense, we can all think of, you know, if you use Siri or if you use Alexa or whatever you use, um, you can think of times and typically you get quite annoyed quite quickly when the AI assistant doesn't perform the task that you want. So there's this kind of, you know, tension as well that I think that we should recognize within AI assistance because we want them by definition to assist us to do different things um, and that data is needed. If you use a, a voice assistant to, you know, hail an, an Uber, well, you know, you're going to have financial data, banking data, your address, um, other personal data about yourself. You're going to therefore have behavioral data because they'll, you know, over time you will be able to build up a profile. And data accumulates. This is the other thing that we should think of. It doesn't get gathered and then disappear into the ether. You know, it aggregates over time. And if you're coming from the perspective of, let's say, Amazon, which has Alexa, which has all of these different skills and all of these different third parties that bring all of this different kind of functionality, well, they also access all of that data and can build that up over time. And then that leads into really rich possibilities for different kinds of inferences, which are really quite fundamental in an area, both, again, that serve our needs in terms of what we are being assisted with, but also is a really significant area for concern. Mark reminds us what an inference is. Really simply, to if we want to talk about what an inference is, it's just these are just assumptions. These are predictions about the future that are based on data from the past and the present. So from the data we generate, inferences can be made about us, which sounds a bit creepy, like they know what we want before we want it. However, if you took away the ability to make inferences, this would actually be much more annoying, because then the personalization in technology would disappear. The more personal the information that is accessible by the AI assistant, the more personalized the services can become. And just think, you know, again, let's draw a parallel and just think about a, a search engine like kind of Google. People would often say, well, you know, the, the, the results aren't quite what I want and or ad serving. Typically, people would often 
really, really mock ad serving as because it's it's so stupid. It really doesn't understand me particularly well. Um, and then if personalization is more effective, then it becomes it can become almost uncanny or concerning because it knows you too well. But we're in an historical moment where I think personalization due to our relationship to kind of data and social media is becoming more and more of a kind of a norm and an expectation where we feel a level of dissatisfaction unless the personalization is more accurately tailored to us. So I think in general for Alexa and a case that, you know, that industry would make is, well, we want and need personal data, including behavioral data, in order to better tailor services to you to deliver to you what you want. And for some people who are believers in kind of markets, then this is a kind of a holy grail, isn't it? So there we have the business case for personalization from inferences. And there are some interesting future applications for personalization. I don't think we're very far off from people wanting their uh, voice assistant, their home voice assistant, to have that kind of intimate understanding of who they are right, and of what they need and to anticipate those needs. And that anticipation, that prediction, I mean, that's a form of inference, right? Which is a fundamental part of, and why uh, personal data and behavioral data is so important. Because on the one hand, we potentially want very much those inferences. In a, if, if it's in a benign and kind of productive context, context, then we want it very much. But if we just stop for a moment and think, okay, well, what else can be learned and how else could this be used? And we don't need to even become particularly dystopian. We can just continue to think in terms of kind of the current parameters of market forces to think also maybe not so good. So now we know what inferences can do in terms of personalizing digital services for you. Let's go a bit deeper into what inferences can be made. First of all, let's think about what kinds of inferences can be made. Well, an inference can be made about you or about me, but inferences can also be made about groups. So you can make an inference about you or me from different kinds of groups that we might be associated with and or Inferences about that group can be made from data from you or me in relation to respective groups that we are affiliated with. So it's an individual problem and it's a structural or a societal problem. It's a societal problem that never necessarily impacts society in the whole, but particular sectors of society. Oftentimes, more negative for some groups than for other groups. So if we think about inferences, I mean, inferences bring us directly to the challenges around bias and discrimination. Bias and discrimination, by definition, doesn't happen to everybody. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a bias or it wouldn't be discrimination. It happens to particular identifiable groups. Now, on the one hand, you know, data protection law, GDPR, for example, I mean, there are an array of protected attributes, right? Gender, race, 
sexuality, ethnicity, etc. These are protected, these are not meant to be able to be used, and these are certainly not meant to be able to be used to generate inferences that have disproportionate impact on an identifiable group, on any of those attributes. But the thing about inferences is inferences, all kinds of inferences can be made about protected attributes just through your utilization in an everyday way. You know, inferences can easily be made around race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, around political orientation, around your financial status. And therefore, should you get a loan? Should you get a mortgage? And sometimes, highly problematically, that might be linked to personal attributes. It's not supposed to be, but maybe that gets discovered because, you know, the ways when we think about, let's say, you know, neural networks or the way that a certain kind of machine learning, which is a subsection of artificial intelligence functions, you know, broadly speaking, you feed data to that. And then the neural network, which is a kind of technical black box, might make correlations that, you know, uh, human-led analysis wouldn't necessarily identify. And you might not be looking at all for that to be linked in a way that will have a negative output around protected attributes, but that very well may emerge because of the nature of, because of the way in which the data that we generate also sediments and expresses not just this historical moment, but in historical context, right? So uh, inferences in that way are kind of, you know, they can go from an initial point of being positive around personalization and quickly link to much more problematic uh, uh, outcomes. So there we have a view on the dark side of inferences, when the data is used to make assumptions and categorize people without the influence of ethics and human values. Mark goes on to explain perhaps the biggest incentive for inferences, the market value. Inferences are economic. Importantly, crucially, they are economic, right? The market value in big data is predicated on the ability to generate novel insights, right? But it's also in creating out of the accumulation of that data over time, uh, both distinct and new market opportunities. And, you know, it's no surprise that Alexa is a product of Amazon and that Amazon, one of its biggest markets is, you know, Amazon Web Services, the cloud that it provides, which is the site in which the skills and the data kind of exist. And you can think about the accumulation of that over time, similarly to how we would think about Google in relation to, um, to the web and, and to, to smartphones. Um, so yeah, inferences are really quite fundamental. They're not something that we can simply say are bad, um, but there are a lot of reasons to see kind of red flags all over in terms of, you know, the power of inference as our lives become more 
open and transparent. When I say open and transparent, I mean in the sense of ubiquitously generating that data, but in a context that's extremely opaque, where we don't have access to understanding of how our data is being used. So we're operating and we have to increasingly operate on a kind of a good faith basis. So there's no way of getting away from big data. We create it and we are at the mercy of how companies use it to reach us, profile us and sell to us. Mark explained how he would like to see this change in future. I think we need change. I think that we need to be wary of the power of inference, not just in terms of negative impact, but also in terms of the ways in which it can embed us in economic relations, not just market relations in terms of as consumers, but I think also the ways in which we can work. And we always need to be aware of the profound power imbalances. That is why, you know, as I said, for the last eight years, one of the the automatic kind of knee-jerk responses always from me in terms of research is we need to open up these technical objects. The reason we need to open them up is because we exist in, you know, what Frank Pasquale years ago called the black box society. That black box is partially technical because things are complex. And especially if we talk about kinds of AI and machine learning, I mean, they're, they're really beyond the understanding in a reasonable way of, of most people. Um, There's a black box also because of corporate ownership, right? Because things are protected, right, Um, as intellectual property. Um, That includes our data and what's happening to our data. So the first point of concern that I would raise is, well, what will the status of GDPR be in Brexit Britain? You know, Can we anticipate weakening oversight and control in the name of Brexit? I think this government, I think it's fair to say their track record suggests very much so. There's nothing that they've done that that demonstrates a greater commitment to privacy and to redressing the imbalance between corporate interests and societal interests. So, So that's something really important. GDPR affects the way that personal data can be used and how long it can be kept. But are there similar rules for inferences? Inferences are economy class data. So what that means is that they are afforded far less protection, right, um, through data protection law. So data protection laws around things like the right to know about particular data, to rectify particular data, to delete particular data, to object to particular data. Those rights are all significantly curtailed in inferences made using personal data because that data is economy class data. So the very legal status of data becomes really important. This goes back again, and we can see how this gets muddled a little bit because, you know, most of the apps or skills that we use are made by, you know, for-profit developers or companies. And we recognize that kind of market relationship, and we can see how on the one hand that 
you know, that economic class could be fairly attributed to that. On the other hand, this is personal data. This is behavioral data. This is data that comes from the kind of intimate aspects of your everyday life that then also become a market commodity. And personalization kind of tightens that knot in a sense, because on the one hand, we want more and better personalization. On the other hand, we should be wary about other kinds of inferences that can be generated from that personal data. So I think that there's a need for more societal debates and discussions around what kind of regulatory regime is adequate to our historical moment wherein we are generating this data and we are so embedded in these fundamental relationships with AI assistance and other, other um, technical modalities of datafication. So that's Dr. Mark Cote's view on datafication and some of the key issues affecting us as a society. That is the last of this four-part podcast series from the Secure AI Assistance Project. Let us know what you think about the issues raised by tweeting us at secureai underscore says or finding us on LinkedIn at says project. Go back and listen to previous episodes. How do voice AI assistants work? My data and controlling how it is used. Disinformation and the future of AI. I've been your host, Kieran Flora. The SAIS project is a cross-disciplinary research project between the Department of Informatics, Digital Humanities and the Policy Institute at King's College London and the Department of Computing at Imperial College London, working with non-academic industry partners and policy experts, including Microsoft and Securities, who you will hear from in this podcast. If you would like to find out more about SAIS, you can visit us on our website or contact us on Twitter or LinkedIn. All the links are in the show notes. The music in this podcast is by Serge Quadrado.